Shalom and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com and our study of Sefer Torim. My name is Menachem Niptag. Today we continue our study of Parshat Ki Shiro number 5 out of 6. Our study today will begin in chapter 24 verse 7 up until chapter 25 verse 12. As in the last two Shiroim, we will find numerous topics in what appears to be a rather random order. However, all are relating to day-to-day life in the land of Israel. And each topic is discussed by only several short verses. What we did notice thus far is that most all of these laws reflect a very high standard of moral behavior. In today's section, we will not find only laws that relate to a very high standard of moral behavior, but also a specific focus on social justice, especially the need to having compassion for the less fortunate people in our society. Our first case in today's study would deal with, with the severe warning against human trafficking. So let's begin in Perch of Dalet, Pasuk Zion, chapter 24, verse 7. If it is found that a person has stolen a fellow man from his brethren of the children of Israel, notice Chumash uses the word nefesh to describe that person who has been stolen. And recall from the story of creation in chapter 1 of Breshit, that all living things are referred to as nefesh, every creature that God made, fish or fowl or animals, are all called nefesh chaya. Only man is referred to as neshama. So it could be you can steal a person's body, but you cannot steal his soul. And that may be the reason why Chumash uses the word here, nefesh, specifically. So should one person kidnap another, and either enslave him or mistreat him, and then sell him, Recall by Eshet Yifator that we saw in yesterday's class. It says, Altita Merba, do not mistreat her or treat her like a slave. Then, Umet Haganavahu, that kidnapper, must be put to death. Kebecha, and in this manner you shall eradicate evil from your midst. In modern day terminology, I think this would be referred to as human trafficking. The idea that one human being could take another and sell him is a type of behavior that the Torah cannot tolerate. And therefore, a person who acts in this manner must be put to death. The next topic, relating to tzarat, to leprosy, is quite an anomaly in Sefer Dvarim. Recall that throughout the entire law section of Sefer Dvarim thus far, which has been most of the book, we find laws about day-to-day life, or laws about loving and fearing God. But we never found any of the laws from Sefer Vayikra in relation to ritual purity, or better known as Tuma and Tara. As Ramban has explained in his introduction, and you'll note here as well, the Kohanim, who are in charge of laws of ritual purity, do not need constant reminders of their laws. Therefore, those laws are not found in Sefer Dvarim. But rather, the nature of the laws we find in Sefer Dvarim are for the people, and the regular people need constant reminders of laws that they need to follow. So one approach might be that this is indeed an exception. And now we finally have a law about ritual purity, about leprosy, in Sefer Dvarim. Or it could be, and that will be the direction that most commentators will follow, that this also deals with day-to-day human behavior. It relates to either speaking Lashon Hara or becoming too haughty, what's called Gava. And because speaking Lashon Hara, that is gossip or saying bad things about one another, may cause a person to contract leprosy, therefore, even though the topic here is leprosy, the underlying topic is, again, good behavior and not speaking Lashon Hara against one another. So let's begin in Pasachet, verse 8. Hishamer benega hatsarat, 
לשמור מאוד ולעשות. Be very careful against an infection of leprosy. To be very diligent to keep and observe. ככל אשר יורו אתכם הכהנים הלווים, כאשר ציוויתים תשמרו לעשות. Do exactly as the כהנים, the Levites, instruct you everything that I've commanded them you must keep to do. Rashi understands this as basically not to be your own doctor when it comes to a skin infection. If you see something growing on your skin, do not cut it off yourself or say, I'll take care of it. But rather, you must show it to the Kohen, to the priest, and he'll decide whether or not this is leprosy and whether or not you need to be quarantined. Rashbam goes in a slightly different direction, saying, remember not to use protexia when it comes to laws of leprosy, because someone would think, if I have a high-ranking person in society, we do not want to quarantine him should he contract this type of skin disease. And therefore, make sure not to use protexia. And he brings examples from Uziel the king, and earlier from the story of Miriam, as we'll see soon, that even though they were important people, the law was equal for everybody, no matter what their status in society was. However, the major discussion among the commentators is on verse 9, Pasuk Tet, Zachor et asher asa Adonai lehecha lemiriam, baderech b'tzeitchem memitzrayim. Remember what Hashem your God did to Miriam during that journey after you left Egypt. Now the question is, is the main topic here, verse 8, be careful of the laws of Sarat, and oh, by the way, remember what God did to Miriam as a sort of a motivator statement, but the key point was verse 8, and verse 9 is simply a little reminder, or is the main commandment verse 9? That is, is Zechorat Hashem Asa Hashem Elokecha LeMiriam to remember what Hashem did to Miriam, is that the main commandment and is verse 8 leading up into verse 9? That is the opinion of the Ramban. The Ramban claims that this is a mitzvah to say to remember every day what happened to Miriam or basically a positive commandment to remember not to speak Lashon Hara, not to slander or speak gossip about other people. The Ramban brings a very strong proof just like it says, to remember the Sabbath day, and just as it says, to remember the day you left Egypt, and just as it will say in the end of the parsha, remember what Hashem did to Amalek, all those are mitzvot to say, all those are positive commandments, and therefore this must also be a positive commandment. Then after bringing many proofs of his approach, he concludes his commentary with a very powerful statement. Umikan niresh rabotenu from here we see that the rabbis understood that this verse is a positive commandment and not just a good idea. The rabbis understand that verse 9 is the main commandment and verse 8 leads into it and not that the main commandment is verse 8 and verse 9 is a little reminder. And then he explains why. He says, how could it be that speaking Lashon Hara, which is equivalent to murder, how could it be that it is not a commandment in the Bible? But rather, this verse is a warning, is a very strong warning to refrain from speaking Lashon Hara, either in public or in private. Whether you intend to hurt someone, or even if you don't intend to hurt someone. And we all learned this from the story of Miriam, even though she meant well, and it was done in private, and she was a righteous person, nonetheless she was punished, even more so, if we do it 
in public. And even more so, if we do it for bad intentions, even more so we will be punished. So therefore, the Ramban counts this as a mitzvah taseh, and that's why many people have a beautiful custom after the prayer services in the morning, they say six different schirot, six different things we need to remember, and this is one of them. This concept of remembering an event that happened in the Bible in a transformative manner, where that memory affects how you behave in your day-to-day life, we will see not only relating to this commandment to remember what happened in the story of Miriam, but also remembering that you were once a slave in Egypt and mistreated, and therefore be careful how you treat others. We'll see that very soon as we continue our study. The Ibn Ezra on this verse makes a very interesting comment. He says, remember what God did to Miriam? Ibn Ezra says, sometimes there are drashot, which are almost pshuto shemikra. When it says, don't call the person a mitzorah, but rather someone who's motzi shemra, this is supported by these verses. The reason why Ibn Ezra says that, I think, is because the overall topic here are not laws of ritual purity from Sefer Vayikra. What is the main topic of all these laws in Sefer Dvarim? It's our behavior in our day-to-day life. And if the primary topic here is not the laws of leprosy, but rather the laws of how we behave in our day-to-day life, especially the law about not to speak Lashon Hara, then this law actually fits in perfectly with the other laws in Sefer Dvarim and is not an anomaly at all. I would like to suggest another possibility for how to understand verse 8 in light of this. It could be, be careful of contracting a Neget Sarat. Not be careful what happens when you get it, but be careful in order that you should not get one. And how will you prevent yourself from contracting leprosy if you keep all the laws that the Kohanim Halavim are going to teach you, not the laws of Tzarat, but rather the laws of Sefer Dvarim. Because recall, in Sefer Dvarim, the job of Shevet Levi is to teach Torah. Yorum Mishpatecha Yaakov Yisrael. And over and over again we've seen that this is the main job of Shevet Levi, to carry the Aaron of God and to teach us the Torah in our day-to-day life. So should we follow the laws that the Kohanim HaLevim teach us in Sefer Dvarim, then we will not contract leprosy in the first place. Followed by the reminder, remember what happened to Miriam. When she spoke Lashon Hara, she got Sarat. Therefore, if you want to make sure that doesn't happen to you, keep the laws of Sefer Dvarim in order that that will not happen to you. That would be very similar to what we saw in regard to the last line of Egla Rufa. If you want to prevent an unsolved murder from happening in the first place, make sure to do Hayashar Bene Hashem that we saw back in chapter 21, verse 9. If that understanding is correct, then this has everything to do with the laws of Sefer Dvarim and almost nothing to do with the technical laws about Sarat and Sefer Vayikra. In the next section, we return to laws of taking collateral when giving someone else a loan. Pasuk Yod, verse 10. Ki tashem b'reacha masat m'uma, lo tavo abito l'avot avoto. When you make a loan of any sort to one of your countrymen, you must not enter his house to siege that pledge or to seize that collateral. Instead, verse 11, Pasuk Yod Aleph, b'chutz tamod, stand outside his house, don't embarrass him. And that person who you're lending money to, let him come out and bring the pledge outside to you. It's very embarrassing to a person that someone else enters his home and starts taking things out or sees how poor he is. Therefore, respect his pride. Even though you're doing him a favor by lending him money, do not enter his home and respect his privacy. And then in Pasuk Yudbet, in verse 12, we continue this topic. Vim ish anihu. 
If that person who you're lending money to is poor, do not take this pledge or this collateral, and if it's a garment or a blanket that he might need, do not sleep with it. Rather, Pasuk Yudgimel, verse 13, Return him that blanket or whatever that pledge is when the sun's setting, in other words, towards the evening, and let him sleep with his own blanket or his own garment, and then he will bless you. And for you, it will be a merit before Hashem your God. Recall, back in Parshat Mishpatim, we said that if someone does not return the pledge to a poor person, make sure to return it to him at night. And if not, when he cries out to God, God will hear because he is a merciful God. So there in Parshat Mishpatim, it says that God will hear the cry of that poor person if you don't return it to him. Here it says, God will give you merit if you do return it to him. Note here that the word staka does not mean giving charity, but it means this is the right and proper thing to do. Now in verse 14, Pasuk Yedalad, we continue with these laws of social justice. Do not abuse or take advantage of your worker, of a needy or destitute worker. Eat it from one of your brethren, that is a fellow Jew who is working for you or even a stranger who is living in your land, in your gates. Instead, Pasuk Tetvav, verse 15, On the very same day that he finishes working, give him his wages on that day, and don't let the sun set. Because he's a poor person, and he sets his heart or soul on the wages that he needs, because he needs to take money home to feed his family. And what will happen if you do not pay him? in order that he should not call out about you to God, and that will be a sin for you. In other words, if you don't pay him on time, he'll be very angry, and he'll express his anger to God. God may hear that cry and punish you for being so mean to him. Here again, we find yet another law, which focuses on the need to be sensitive to the needs of the less fortunate people in society, especially when it comes to paying wages on time. Now we change to another topic, verse 16. Parents should not be punished for the sins of their children, nor should children be punished for the sins of the parents. A person shall be put to death only for his own crime. This appears to be a law for the court system that when you judge people, don't think that maybe for the good of society, and as a warning, I should punish parents for the acts of their children, or vice versa, punish children for the acts of the parents. That might be deterrent for society, but Chumash says, no, that's not permitted. We must only judge people for their deeds and not for the deeds of others. Of course, this principle, as we saw from the Ten Commandments, does not apply to God. God has the right to punish parents for their children or children for the parents. And knowing that, hopefully, will keep both the parents and children on their guard and make sure not to sin. That's the prerogative of God to punish in that manner. But baiting the court system is not allowed to do that. In other words, Chumash is not saying this will not happen, but rather Chumash is saying this is something that you should not do. Now in verse 17, we begin a set of laws that relate again to how we treat the poor and the needy. Pasuk Yitzayin, verse 17. Lo tateh mishpat ger yatom, v'lo tachvo beged You should not subvert the rights or the judgment of the stranger 
or the orphan, and you should not take a widow's garment as a pledge. Pasuk Yitchet, verse 18, V'zacharta ki eved ha'ita b'mitzrayim, you must remember that you were once a slave in Egypt, v'yiftacha Adonai lo'hecha misham, and God redeemed you from your slavery in Egypt, al-kein anochim mitzadcha la'asot et ha'davar zeh. Therefore, I am commanding you to observe this commandment. This phrase is not a standalone commandment to remember that you were slave in Egypt, but rather it's the motivator for the previous law. The main law is verse 17. Do not suffer justice for the stranger, the orphan, or the widow. Followed by, be sensitive because you must remember that you were once a slave in Egypt. And there's the reason why God redeemed you from Egypt to become a nation that's known for its sensitivity to others. This phrase, which will repeat itself soon in verse 22, and we've found this many times in Sefer Tzvarim, is not a standalone commandment of expressing your gratitude to God, remember that you were a slave in Egypt and He saved you, but remember why He took you out of Egypt. That memory has to be transformative. Remember how you suffered. Remember how you were mistreated. And therefore, when you become a free people, but you now are running your own society, remember how people mistreated you, and don't you dare do that to others. That's already a transformative type of memory that shapes your day-to-day behavior, and hence one of the key refrains in Sefer Tvarim. Now we apply the same principle in verse 19 in Pasuk Yotet. Ki tiksor k'sercha basadecha v'shachachta omer basadeh Should you be harvesting your grain in your field, and should you overlook or forget a sheaf of grain or wheat in the field, lo tashuv l'kachto Do not return to take it or to collect it. Instead, Leave it instead for the stranger or for the orphan or the widow to collect. In order that Hashem your God shall bless you in all of your endeavors. This of course reminds us of the story of Ruth the Moabite that we read in Megillat Ruth on Shavuot. And notice the word that Chumash uses for the grain that's left over in the field. The word is Omer. The word Omer is very rarely used in the Torah and almost never in the context of a bundle of wheat. Rather, the omer was the amount of mana that we were permitted to collect every day in the desert, and that was our daily ration that God provided for us when we were living in the desert. It could be very significant that Chumash now uses this very same word omer to describe the grain that we leave over in the field for the poor. When we had nothing to eat and we were in the desert, God provided us with mana and the amount that we took was an omer. We were like the poor people, and God was like the wealthy farmer. And now that we're in the land of Israel, and we have to imitate God, and we have to be godly in our day-to-day life, then if we are wealthy, and we have a field, we still have to be considerate of others, just like God took care of us. We have to take care of others. And therefore, that leftover grain that we leave for the poor and needy to collect is referred to specifically now as omer. Now we see that this law and this care of others when you harvest your grain relates also to your fruit harvest as well. When you beat down the fruit of your olive trees, do not go over again to take every single olive. Instead, leave the leftovers for the stranger, or the orphan, and the widow. Lachbot, the same word we use for aravot, that is necessary to take down olives from a tree because unlike most fruit, olives don't fall on their own. Olives do not fall so quickly on their own from the tree. Sometimes you have to bang the tree for the olives to come down. And therefore, when you do that, most of the olives will come down 
don't bring every single olive, but rather leaves them on the tree so a poor person can come and collect the few that remain. And finally, Pasuk Chaf Aleph, verse 21, Ki tiftzor kamacha, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, lo to'olelacharecha, don't pick it over and over again, don't pick every single cluster of grapes, but rather leave some over, lager leatom velamana yet, leave them for the stranger, the orphan, or the widow. Now, if we care about the orphan and the widow and the stranger, it would make more sense collect everything and give them some handouts. Chumash is not only asking us to care for them by giving them handouts, we want to give them a little self-respect and therefore they'll feel a lot better if you left it over and they collected it on their own. When someone sees leftovers, oh, they say the owner wasn't going to take it anyhow, it's going to waste, I might as well pick it on my own. And when they harvest that fruit or when they harvest that grain on their own, they feel much more pride than receiving it as a handout from the farmer. So again, we're not only caring about the well-being of these poor people, we're also caring about the very pride in their day-to-day -day life, which is the very same idea we saw about when you take a pledge, not to come into the poor person's home to take it, rather let him come out and bring it to you. This is an important point because sometimes wealthy people, when they help poor people, they feel they're doing them a favor and that gives them the right to be haughty and therefore, part of giving charity is not only providing them with financial support, but also with moral support and dignity. And therefore, there are two parts of giving staka. There's actually giving financial help, but also treating people with respect as well. And finally now, in verse 22, Remember that you were once a slave in Egypt. And therefore, I'm commanding you to do this commandment. The same verse as we saw earlier in verse 18. And again, another motivator, remember why God took you out of Egypt and make that memory transformative. That memory of your suffering must affect the way that you behave in your day-to-day -day life. And that's the reason why the commandment to remember the Exodus is so important. Once a year, we eat matzah for seven days and go crazy to remember that event. But the key memory of the Exodus is the daily memory that we say every day in Shema. And that memory is not only to say thank you for taking us out of Egypt, but remembering why he took us out of Egypt. And therefore, when we mention the Exodus every day at the end of the Shema, it's not only gratitude, but rather it's a memory that affects our behavior after we have finished our prayers and how we act in our day-to-day -day endeavors. Now we begin chapter 25, Perachav Hei. Ki yariv ben anashim el ushfatum. Should there be a quarrel between people, and they go to the judge for a decision. The court declares its ruling. One person is found right, the other person is found wrong. That is setting the stage for verse 2, Pasuk Vet. Then the magistrate shall have him lie down and give him lashes in his presence. The amount of lashes based on how evil his actions were. It seems from here that the judge has the right to decide how many lashes a person is supposed to receive. But now we give a limit, Pasigimel, he can only receive up to 40 lashes. He may beat him 40 times, but no more, so that he does not beat him with many more lashes than those, so that your brother is not degraded in your eyes. Here we see we even care about the respect of a person who is evil, who is receiving lashes, 
Even in a case like that, we still have to be careful about someone's feelings, not to overdo punishment. And finally, in verse 4, Pasuk Dalad, Lo tachsom shor You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. In other words, we even care about the needs of an animal. If we have an ox who's working for us on our threshing floor, the farmer may not want to waste any of the grain and will muzzle the ox so that it won't eat anything. That's forbidden. Allow the animal to eat while it's working. Almost similar to the law we saw about the worker in the field that he can take grapes while he's harvesting for the owner. We even have to care about our animals. And that could be either because we care about the feelings of our animals as well, or it could be a law for man to make sure that he's not cruel even in his treatment of animals. And if he's kind to animals, Kabachomim should be kind to other human beings. Now in verse 5, we begin a totally new topic, better known as the law of Yibum. This is a case, should a man pass away who is married but has no children, then there's a commandment, should he have a brother, that the brother should marry his widow and hopefully have a male child from that widow and give the name of the brother who died to that child, and that will enable the name of the family to continue forever, as well as the possibility, should he not want to marry her, that will be called Chalitza. So let's begin in verse 5, Pasuke. Ki yeshvu achim yachdav, echad mehem, uven enlo. Should there be two brothers, and one of them dies, and has no son, lo zar, his widow, the wife of the man who died, should not go out to marry a different man. Instead, yevamah yavo aleha, ulekacha lo leisha Instead, her husband's brother shall go to her and take her to himself as a wife and do yibum, that is, have relations with her in order to have a child. Pasuk Vav, verse 6. And then the firstborn child who she may give birth to, he shall assume the name of his dead brother. So that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Pasuk Zayin, verse 7. But should this man not desire to take his sister-in-law as his wife, then this woman, this Yevama, should now go to the gate of the city, that is, to the court system, to the elders, and she should make a statement to the court, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the act of Yibum with me. So now we need to go through a formal procedure to release this responsibility of Yibum. verse 8. Then the elders of that city should call upon that brother and speak to him. And he has to stand in front of the court and say, I do not desire to take her as a wife. He has to make that official statement in front of the court. Pasuk Tet, verse 9. Then his sister-in-law must approach the court in the eyes of the elders. And then she must take off the shoe from his foot. And she should spit in front of him. She should answer and say, or declare in front of him and say, 
This is what should be done to the man who is not willing to build the household of his brother. This becomes a symbolic act to show her displeasure with his decision not to continue the name of his brother, and therefore we make this formal act in Beitim. And the name of either this place or this person should be called in Israel, Beit Chalutzanao, the house of him whose sandal is removed. And finally, in verse 11, we have one last law, Pasuk Aleph, Should two men be fighting, one man with his comrade? And should, in, in the middle of this fight, the wife of one of these men come close to save her husband from the person beating him? And should she send out her hand and hold his private parts, or what's better known as hitting below the belt, in order to protect her husband? Pasuk Yudbet, verse 12, Then you should cut off her hand and have no mercy on her. Most commentators understand that, of course, we're not going to cut off her hand, but rather, like we said for Ein Tachet Ein, the fine she must pay must be the amount of money that one would lose for a slave whose hand was cut off in comparison to a slave whose hand is not cut off. Hence, it would be financial punishment and not a physical one. In tomorrow's share, we will see another law about healthy business practices and finally, the laws of Amalek and the commandment to remember what they did to us forever.